What is up, everybody? Um, <laughs> don't normally do shows on Friday night for sure, uh, primarily because of the fact that we just don't do shows on Friday night. Normally do these shows on Tuesday, but we have all these things that are have been unraveling here and uh, kind of feel like we need to kind of address them. Don't know that it will wait until next Tuesday. Uh, not that we won't talk a little bit about them on Tuesday, but uh, there's been a bunch of craziness. Um, you know, it's just kind of. <laughs> uh, anyways, so there's been a lot of action and drama in the Purple Universe, and I hope you guys are ready because we're going to talk about it. We we got a couple issues to talk about. We already talked about the Broadway issue. But I did put it in the title because I do. There has been some extra, uh, extra talk about the Broadway show. Uh, we had lots of feedback uh, from from a variety of different people. Mo uh, more notably, recently, uh, being uh, Jill Jones, who was in the movie, by the way, and she had quite a bit to say about the Broadway adaptation and uh, considering how active she is in uh, human rights and, and everything and just being very, very vocal. She actually had a lot to say on the flip side about the adaptation that is coming to fruition about the Purple Rain Broadway musical. So there's that. Uh, so I wanted to talk about what she said um, and kind of talk a little bit about the Broadway thing. But then but then uh, on the 10th, so what's today? The 12th. So Wednesday, was it Wednesday? Yeah, it was Wednesday. Um, the day after we had done the show on Tuesday, there was a court case that was filed. And the court case was from Londell McMillan and Charles Spicer against the heirs in this case specifically being sharon nelson brianna and john uh and uh was alan i think we'll, we'll look actually you know i'm gonna if you guys want to take a peek at um you guys want to take a peek at it there this is the version that i currently have right now i'm gonna actually put it in the chat hold on a second let me let me actually do this real, really quick. Uh, my apologies. I'm going to go ahead and I am actually not going to do this on the radio show. So we're just going to do this on video. We'll put it up later. Uh, but let me put up the link to the actual court case that has been put out here so that you guys can kind of understand it. If you guys want to go ahead and click on the link and uh, check it out and see what exactly is going on. Feel free to go and read ahead, look at it, whatever you want to do. It's uh, specifically from Bloomberg Law. Uh, the court case was posted up there. And um, I want to talk about some of the things that are going on specifically with this court case and some of the excessive drama that's been going on with this court case. Uh, so I will leave it up to you guys. So before I even start, let me go ahead and say hello to all you fine folks. Um, I want to say, uh, hello to Karen. Hello to Susan. Hello to Bonnie, Bonnie, all over from, uh, Hawaii over there. Hope all the, everything is uh, phenomenal. 
Uh, Ocean, what's going on? Jasmine, hello, James. All you fine folks. Deanna's been, uh, Deanna, is Deanna or Deanna or Deanna, <laughs> any of those. Uh, welcome, Regina, what's going on? Christopher, uh, I like that name. Kim, Norvis, all you fine folks. Cassandra, Betsy, uh, Vanessa's in the house. Uh, and I, Vanessa Bartholomew's in the house. And interesting enough, she is actually named in this court case. So it's interesting that Vanessa's here. Uh, what's going on? Lenny, what's going on, brother? My funk brother from another mother. Uh, Paula, it's been a Maria. So let's, 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 I'm going to let you guys talk about which one of these two things that you want to talk about here first. If we talk about the Broadway thing first, uh, it will be very quick. So we want to go ahead and just briefly talk about the Broadway scenario. Uh, we can do that because if we talk about the court case scenario first, that's going to take a little bit more time because I've actually went through the entire court case and actually pulled out specific tidbits uh, all the way up until the show. So I don't know which one that you specifically want to talk about, but um, I know everybody's saying court case. I want to hear about this court case. I want to hear about this court case. I got it. But uh, let me just go ahead and yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the Broadway thing for, I know everybody always talk about the court case, but let me, let me just go ahead and get the Broadway thing out of the, the mix first, but I want to proceed both of these uh, scenarios by, by stating two things. First off, uh, Jeff Page, as you can see, is not here with me tonight. Um, that's not because, because this was totally impromptu. This meeting was totally impromptu. Uh, the show was totally impromptu. So I, I didn't call him and he'd give any heads up. Uh, but, uh, having known Jeff for as long as I have, I'm pretty sure he's, <laughs> he may or may not be interested in sitting this one out. Uh, because which kind of leads into the second statement, which is, uh, I am going to be doing this walking on the fence as much as I possibly can because I am not here to take sides. I have my own opinions and you'll probably hear them throughout as I as I kind of share some of this information. I'm going to share kind of my feelings on some things, uh, my perspective on some things. So treat it as like an op-ed. Um, this nothing that I'm going to share with you tonight is rumor and conjecture. You know, I always talk about, you know, things that may have not been documented and I always say, always treat what I say as rumor and conjecture. Nothing I say tonight will be rumor and conjecture because of the fact that everything I have here is documented and online and out there. So there's no rumor and conjecture. It's out there. It's, it's pretty much factual. Bloomberg law is very, very legit. Uh, the New Yorker, which some of the Broadway stuff comes from, is legit. Jill Jones' account—you can read what she said on her uh, on her account on her Facebook account. It's legit. So no rumor and conjecture. Um, no rumor and conjecture tonight. However, um, and that's the other thing too is that I don't want to put anybody uh, that may be here tonight or say anything that may be. Um, that, that may get some, some the, the parties involved in any type of trouble. I'm not trying to cause any of that stuff right now. I uh, just want to talk about what's in the court case, some things that I kind of find a little unusual um, uh, that we'll talk about. Uh, but that's all being said. I'm not here to get in trouble. I'm not here to, to stir the pot. I'm just kind of providing a little bit of an, an opportunity to kind of chat and let you guys kind of vent within here. Um it's uh, 
Jasmine, you may actually be right. It's all a distraction. <laughs> I, I believe it is. Uh, you, I, I, you know, if this was like a Beyonce type of group, I would think maybe that is technically you're probably correct. It is a distraction, but I don't think the, um, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the Prince fans don't, don't equate to enough to be a distraction for a lot of the political crap that stuff is going on. And most people don't even know this stuff is going on. So, all right, let's just go ahead and get to it. All right. Uh, I wanted to first talk about the Broadway scenario. So what's interesting about the, um, what's interesting about the Broadway case? We talked about this. I've actually forgot to load the slides. So let me uh, go ahead and load the slides while they kind of give you a little bit of uh, a preface of this. Apparently there has been a, uh, they are planning to do a production on Broadway of Prince's Purple Rain. And unfortunately what is happening is, is that the, the story is being heavily modified by this gentleman who is, is being brought in to, to do it. And what's interesting about it is, and I'm going to go ahead and share the screen that I had shared previously uh, on the last show on Tuesday, which is a clip from the New Yorker kind of talking about what is the, the writer from New Yorker saw some of the changes that this particular director was making to the storyline for Purple Rain. And essentially some of the things that were indicated uh, in here is that, okay, first off, the, the gentleman who's going to be making this adaptation is Jacobs Jenkins is his last name. And apparently um, one of the things that's in here is like pimp, like band leader, Morris day uh, is still vying for the affections of the beautiful young singer named Apollonia. Uh, but what's going to be happening is uh, he, he's going to be calling her a sophisticated multi-hyphenate mama jamma and suggested that she might have a future focusing on women's empowerment at his media company. Uh, it's a far cry from shaking your butt and singing in a band. Uh, very far cry from that. I get it. That's kind of keeping up with the times and whatever, I guess that's, um, but then the other thing is, is that it's saying that princess part, which is the kid changed most of all from a seductively inscrutable and mercurial figure to a more vulnerable young artist and in, as you remember from the movie and darling Nikki Prince kind of embarrasses her from the stage by kind of calling her out for choosing Morris day. Do you want him? Or do you want me? And kind of made her uh, scramble out of the room. But in this particular case, uh, when he calls her a sex fiend and slut shaming her, and this is what I'm reading here from the article. This is not just, <laughs> don't freely use the word slut shaming. That's what's on here. Uh, the stunt backfires in the adaptation. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean it meant to go back. Uh, this, the stunt backfires in the adaptation, and instead it triggers a deluge of text that heralds the kid's cancellation. That's right. Prince will be canceled in Purple Rain. <laughs> there obviously is more story and stuff that could actually happen as a result of this whole thing going. Uh, but what's interesting is, is that they're making, he's making very, very, very heavy adjustments to the story of Purple Rain. Uh, hello, every fine, Ellie, fine folks. Um, 
so it's it's just crazy to me that this is actually going on because not only that, but there's like a, a bunch of other uh, things that I had read that kind of talks, you know, it's, it's just very much, um, it's very much being heavily adapted to kind of uh, be shown and uh, I guess better well-received by a more liberal audience than, you know, obviously the, the, the potent delivery that, it made back in the eighties, but that was the story. You can't just take a story and make all these insanely heavy adaptations to it, especially when you, you know, I don't even know how old this person is, but if I remember correctly, he wasn't even, he was like a kid when this movie came out. Not, I mean, not like, a, I mean, was he even born? I don't even remember. However, uh, there was quite a bit of, um, feedback but more interestingly enough jill jones had quite a bit to say on the matter and this is one of the things that jill jones had put i actually have two screenshots uh that were sent to me uh regarding <laughs> jill jones feedback on this here was the first one that says hopefully you all see now why they have been fighting apples speaking about apollonia to the nail for the name apollonia Obviously, First Avenue would need to be paid for its name usage, and just about everybody in that film, since it's semi-autobiographical, changed the script and it expands ownership and copyright. Interesting, it's all making sense now, even why the Netflix doc has them shook because they are crafting a new Prince vehicle model. So this is an in interesting take on this because what Jill is saying here is because if you stick to the script as it is, that it opens up an entirely new scenario where there's copyrights and ownership and things that end up taking place if you make modifications or if you don't make modifications. If you don't make modifications, First Avenue is going to have to be paid. Uh, the Prince Estate is obviously going to get paid no matter what they decide to do because of the fact that you're actually basing it on Prince and the character and whatnot, and of course, Propraine and everything that goes with it. So that goes to say, if you're going to be using Apollonia's name, this is what Jill Jones is saying. If you're going to be using Apollonia's name, then Apollonia is going to have to get paid because you're going to have to be, she's going to have to be approved because that's her stage name. So this is what is happening here is that they're trying to make all these heavy, heavy modifications to try to kind of circumvent, I guess, a lot of trademark and copyright stuff. I, do, I honestly really don't know what all of it um, I, I honestly don't know what it all boils down to in the form of movies. Like when you do a movie about uh, a specific individual or character, do you have to, you know, if you're talking about that individual or you're doing a representation of that individual, there has to be some type of approval process. There has to be something that goes on. Um, I, I don't know, but what's more interesting is her personal feelings on some of the adaptation stuff, which is, this here. And she says, this is a two-parter. She says, thanks for this, C. Lee. It looks like this might as well be a RuPaul production, LOL. Essentially, they're saying we like some of Prince's music, except for the slut shaming in Darling Nikki, amongst other misogynist things in Purple Rain, but basically don't like anything else. We don't even like him, really, LOL. This, the Jacob Jenkins guy is a product of the bad boy cult of music influence, WTF does he know about the Minneapolis sound era? So they are going to carve and dismember Prince's musical guts out and make him everything and anything that they want him to be. 
I am so sick of the overeducated black folks changing the narrative of some of us black folks in the community. Why the F are they trying to redefine our story? Keep wokeness out of the Purple Rain Broadway show. I struggle with these people who have assigned themselves as the caretakers and voices of our generation and experiences. I also don't think a gay man should be rewriting this to address gender issues. <laughs> Yikes. What? Uh, this is pretty much just calling it, calling it, calling it. Um, this is, I mean, this is one thing you got to appreciate about Jill is that she's calling it as it is. She's calling it as exactly how she sees it. And uh, this perspective, there was a couple things that for her to notate in here that I found very, very interesting. Uh, the one thing that I love about what she said is uh, the people changing the narrative and the the final line here, I struggle with these people who have assigned themselves as the caretakers and voices of our generation and experiences. That says quite a bit. And it's true. We, I mean, for those of us who were in the 80s, who lived through the Purple Rain area, uh, era and loved it and just accepted it for what it was because the 80s were crazy. Um, the 80s were, I mean, I was a teenager all throughout the 80s. I turned, you know, 1381. It was like I, I, the whole 80s experience, I was a teenager. And it is crazy that somebody from a newer generation, again, I don't, can somebody here look up, um, can somebody here look up exactly how old this Jacob Jen Jenkins person is? Was he even born in the eighties? Was he, is he like a millennial? I don't, you know, I, the reason why I bring this up is because of the fact that I, she's right. This, this goes on so often where you have these people who kind of come in and they're just like, you know, you know what's wrong with your generation? You know, okay, okay, boomer. Well, first off, I'm not a boomer. Boomer was before my generation, but even if I was a boomer, you need to stop saying that. And first off, who are you to tell me what my experience and the stories that I grew up and and loved and just I, I admired for just their face value for what they were? For you to come on and take a story, and uh, Amanda says he was born in 1984. So he was essentially, he, he did not see Purple Rain when it came out. So he was like one. Um, so for someone to come along and rewrite the 80s, rewrite the story, I think that is, um, it's just... It's it's just too much. I, th there's so many stories that are kind of that constantly get rewritten. You guys see it all the time with Star Wars, and you see it all the time with with Disney movies, and you feels like you know well, we got it. We have to be focusing on inclusion. We have to be focusing on you know making sure that nobody's feelings are hurt. We got to make sure that this is addressed, and we got to make sure that this is addressed, and we got to make sure that this is addressed. Okay, okay, that's fine. It's okay if you want to address those things. But don't take the stories as they were originally told and then twist them to fit your narrative and your narrative when that's not your story to change. It's not your story to change. So don't change it. If you want to write your own story that communicates your feelings and your 
perspective, knock yourself out, but don't take the stories that are already written and change them just so you can feel better about if you don't like it the way that it is, then don't do it. Do something else. Do some other play because I guarantee you that there are hundreds of directors and writers and everybody out there who would kill and playwrights that would kill for the opportunity to be able to do what you're doing with Purple Rain and leave it as is and just figure out a great theatrical Broadway performance way to pull it off without having to change so much of the core of the story just to fit your agenda. That makes no sense whatsoever. It's it's ridiculous. Now, unfortunately, because of the fact that I would be interested in seeing exactly uh, you know, how Prince's vision would be on the stage. Uh, I would like to see that. But unfortunately, if it's done like this, it's not Prince's vision. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about the fact that they were saying, well, you know, the issue is that, you know, uh, we don't know what Prince would have wanted. I guarantee you, if this were to happen, Prince would not make these types of changes and modifications. There may be slight changes and things that he may tweak or whatever, but it wouldn't be changes like this. I, I just feel confident. Um, I've, I've, even though I've met him a, a few times, I, I do not know him well enough to know what he would have done and what he would not have done. However, I do know that he had a very intense interest in doing Broadway plays and doing play just plays in general. I mean, I don't think he, he may have envisioned something that may have gone Broadway, but you know, with everything that happened with Ulysses and everything that happened with he was always kind of tinkering in that when he did the man opera, uh, which ended up being a, a release of deliverance because it, the, the whole thing didn't ever get released, but there were multiple times that he touched on doing play type of material. So we knew that that was something that would be interesting to him, but to take purple rain and turn it into a Broadway play, would he have considered to do it? Mm, I uh, Maybe. I think that probably he would want to do something a little bit different because Prince was always wanting to move forward. He was never one to sit and just kind of focus on and always look back in the rearview mirror. So most likely if he would have done something on, on the stage, I imagine he would have wanted to write all new material with it at best. I, I, that's the only thing I can think. Uh, but anyways, that's my take on it. I, I don't like the fact that this person is rewriting Purple Rain to the extent that he's rewriting it. Uh, and I think Jill Jones agree and agrees. And I think that if you were to ask some of the individual people that were involved in it, uh, folks like Morris Day and folks like uh, everybody that was involved in the movie, I mean, I'm sure that their, their feedback would be the same. Uh, I'm interested in seeing the Purple Rain production of Broadway, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very apprehensive because there's some things where they just get changed so much and you can tell that there's so much, it's so much focus on what the application of an agenda on a story that's already written that my concern is, is that it's going to twist and just totally change the face of, of, of what the story is. And, and I'm not sure right out of the gate, I can tell you, I don't like the fact that Prince gets canceled because then you know exactly what's going to happen because of the fact that it's written about Prince. What's going to end up happening is that uh, they're going to want to, you know, make you get to the end of this Broadway play and feel better about who Prince was. It's not going to end on him being canceled, obviously, but that's part of the story, the adaptation that this particular, this writer had read 
uh, even though it's not etched in stone, uh, this was an adaptation that the writer of New of the New Yorker read from the adaptation that he's making. Uh, so probably he would have come and he would have uh, apologized. You know, Prince would have come and apologized for being so harsh and for slut shaming Apollonia. And you know, I I, I don't know how it ends. You know, it, it just kind of ends up this creates this tangled spider web of craziness. Uh, so I don't know. I, I see that this is all just, uh, I don't know. It's all very interesting, but all that being said, the whole point of this really was to kind of uh, share the what Jill Jones uh, feedback was in this, because it's just, it's, it's very entertaining to kind of rage. She, she's always a firecracker for sure. Jill Jones is absolutely positively a firecracker. And if you like that fuse, you better step back because Jill tells it like it is. And uh, it's good to hear that because I hear a lot of people saying, you know, oh, well, you know, this is what Prince would have wanted. And that was what Prince would have wanted. So it's good to actually hear feedback from somebody who has actually had an integral part in the movie. And Jill Jones part would have been larger had uh, the script had not had been altered to kind of make room for time and everything else because she had a actually much bigger part in that movie uh, that kind of got nixed. Would I would have loved to kind of seen some of that stuff, but it exists out there. So there it is. Uh, which goes to say that this is the 40th anniversary of Purple Rain. This year is the 40th anniversary of Purple Rain. And I think uh, one of the things that most people are concerned about was the fact that there hasn't been a lot of motion in regard or, or any indicators of what the estate is going to be doing. And when I say the estate, I'm referring to, um, I, okay. There are two parts of the estate. We're going to, we're going to kind of meld this into the, um, into the court case that's happening right now. So I'm going to kind of navigate away from this, but still kind of lightly touching on this Broadway part. So, I don't think the estate, which consists of Londell McMillan and Charles Spicer as the managing members of the of the estate, along with Sharon, Brianna, uh, Noreen, uh, Prince Legacy LLC. There's kind of some other little parts right here, all of which combine to make a fifty percent quota. And then you have Primary Wave, loan is, uh, named as Prince OAT, who have the other 50%. And they're actually technically the ones that are managing the music. Um, and it's become a true debacle because with the announcement of, with, with the Purple Rain 40th anniversary coming up, there hasn't been any indicators that there's anything big that's going to be happening with this 40th anniversary. I'm sure that there's some stuff in the works, but in that contract that are in that court case that I shared with you guys earlier, um, there, we don't know exactly what's coming, but I can guarantee you that primary wave was actually doing a, the best part of managing this music and the distribution of this music Whatever they're planning, I guarantee you they are planning it and they are focusing on whatever they have to do to make sure that this 40th anniversary music edition gets out there. Um, but I will say this in all candor, 
that the other side of the estate being Londell, Charles, Sharon, Noreen, all them, I'm concerned that they don't have enough. Man, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. They don't have enough. This is the only word I got to use. Knowledge of Prince's discography and the material, an, an in-depth knowledge of the material that is in that vault right now to really consciously make the best choices about what needs to be included on this 40th anniversary Purple Rain. They have people that are on staff that, you know, really, really amazing, amazing people uh, that could probably make some decisions for them and say, this probably should be on there. This probably should be on there. Uh, but um, when the Broadway play was announced, because of the fact that we now know that there was this court case scenario that was going on in the background, that was probably taking up of a majority of their time and the majority of their concentration and kind of kept them off of what they needed to be focusing on, which was the 40th anniversary of Proper Rain, that when the Broadway thing was announced, they immediately put their stamp on it and go, hey, this is, this is what we're doing. This is uh, this is one of the things that we're doing for the 40th anniversary as part of the, you know, 2024 being the 40th anniversary of Purple Rain. Uh, we're very, very excited about this and blah, 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 blah. And I think that that stamp of approval came before this director or playwright noted some of these adaptations that were going to be put on there because I, I can't imagine that Anybody who is concerned about Prince's legacy uh, could be okay with it being so heavily modified um, to the point where it's getting further and further away from what it was originally. So that's kind of my, um, yes, Jasmine, correct. Uh, they, that's, they're distracted. And, um, so, and which leads us to believe also that there's a major concern regarding the celebration as well. We talked about the celebration that normally happens that first week of June. And the problem with the celebration being in the first week of June is that that's coming really quick. We are already in January. So we're talking about February, March, April, May, June. So we have less than five months, less than five months before the celebration is supposed to be happening, less than five months before the celebration is supposed to be happening. And there's been no indicators that they're prepared for this, that they're prepared for a celebration. It's looking like it's going to be another scramble to put something together, but you literally are in a position because of the significance of 2024 being the 40th anniversary of purple rain there is a very very significant it's just a, it's a significant moment to be able to celebrate it's prince's biggest album by far uh it's what it's literally what made him a household name and it is a huge huge event a huge huge milestone and there should already be contracts signed. There should already be things locked down. We should already know that something's coming. It's it's just, uh, and it's not. So 
there's a big, big concern that I've heard rumbling amount of, of, from people that they're concerned about the celebration. It's like, you know, is, is the Broadway production and the, um, the Broadway production and this court case, uh, two very, very big distractions from the celebration and the focus of the celebration. I, I just don't know. I, I honestly don't know. They have been known to make really, really last minute decisions on celebrations. Uh, but it is a, it's, it's very, very tricky. It's very, very tricky. So that brings us to the court case, which we come to find out that there was a lot of drama. Well, honestly, because of the fact that I know a lot of people in the purple circle, I'm not bragging. I'm just, that's just fact. I know a lot of people inside of those Paisley Park walls. Well, I used to. Uh, I know some. I know people that are inside the Paisley Park walls. I know people that are very, very close to a lot of the stuff that's going on. Uh, I see and hear a lot of stuff. I see a lot. I hear a lot. I knew most of the stuff that's being named in this court case I knew about before. Um, but what I didn't, you know, until you see something that is documented and see, you see it in black and white and you see it publicly released and it's publicly out there, you can't, um, you literally have to be very, very careful about what you divulge. Because again, I, I don't, I don't like to deal in rumor and conjecture, especially when it involves people's livelihoods and could get people in a lot of trouble. So when people divulge or share information with me, uh, I keep it quiet until it's publicly available and then I can talk about it. But, um, you know, and some of the things you don't even know whether it's true or not, you know, I, you know, you just don't know. You don't know whether it's true. Well, now we know that there's a lot of things that were true. So we are going to talk. <laughs> we're going to talk about the court case. Now, uh, for those who are getting here a little bit early, I will share the link once more. It is the link to the court case uh, on Bloomberg Law. So if you want to actually look at the court case document, uh, feel free to do that. You can go to that link and you can follow along. Make sure that you open it in a new window if you're going to click on that link because it may replace this window. Not that it matters. I mean, <laughs> it's just if you want to read the court case, there you go. Click away. Uh, because I have actually screen captured some things that were very, very interesting to me in this court case. Uh, I just shared the link, Rosalinda, in, uh, both on Facebook and on YouTube. So let me give you an overview of the court case in general. And we're going to look at some really specific things, some things that were kind of weird that I that was just weird to me. Uh, other things that I, I can't quite wrap my head around. And, and then ultimately what we're going to get to is kind of understanding together exactly what this court case is and what the demands are, what the observations are. Uh, because one of the things that I will tell you about this court case is that first off, uh, the court case is a court case that is from, and I'm going to actually scroll all the way to the top of this. I did actually screen capture some things, but I want to share this screen here so that you guys can see it. Uh, because if you go to that link, you will be able to see a bunch of different things. But uh, this is the court case that I'm sharing. 
And it is a court case filed on January 10th, 2024. So just a couple of days ago from L. Londell McMillan, Charles Spicer Jr. and Johnny Nicholas Nelson Torres, so Johnny Jr. And then it is, they are the plaintiffs. And the defendants in this case are Sharon Nelson, Noreen Nelson individually, and Brianna M. Nelson and Alan D. Nelson in their capacity as co-trustees of the John R. Nelson Revocable Trust. Essentially what has been happening is, is that Sharon and Noreen, and this is, I am not privy to this stuff. Uh, I was privy to some of it, but the, but you know, again, you don't know what people, if what people are telling you are actually true or not. Uh, but apparently what has happened is that Sharon Nelson, Noreen Nelson, uh, a lot of it, this court case really points the finger at Sharon being the orchestrator of this whole scenario. Um, being that they have been trying to oust Londell McMillan and Charles Spicer as the managing members of the estate. Now, remember, this is all arguments and things that are happening, or, or, or I guess this case is focusing on the 50% that is owned by all of those individuals that I just named. It doesn't have anything to do with the other 50% that is owned by Primary Wave, aka Prince OAT. Um, and so I'm sure there are people in this chat area that actually have a little bit, have done some really, really hardcore research on, uh, the historical going on, goings on of these individuals. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people out there who really specifically have problems with Londell and, and Charles, uh, for a variety of different reasons, all of which I have never seen. I have no, uh, yeah, I personally don't have any qualms with them. I hear a lot of things. Oh, well, they did this and they did that and they did this and they did that. But I, I didn't personally see it. I've never, there's been some documentation out there to kind of prove, uh, some shady things and whatnot, but that's not where my stance is here. My stance is here is obviously to just talk directly about this particular court case that is now out there in public. And I know that people are some, you know, there may be people that are intimately involved with it and may get to be upset with me that I'm doing this broadcast and that I'm sharing information about this court case, but it's out there. This is the public version. Okay. Now, one of the things you will notice is that if I scroll down here, you will see like a lot of redactions. So there's like a lot of redactions that kind of cover up some of the things that, you know, like, you know, specific percentages owned by individuals. Uh, I, I think that all of that is public knowledge. And if actually, if you actually go through the process of going to these, the actual, uh, courthouse where these particular documents are located. This is all public and you can actually get it without the redactions and you can, you know, dig further. Uh, some of the things that I find very, very interesting with this court case and I, you know, I don't expect, this is kind of like one of those things, we need you to agree with this, we need you to, to sign off on this agreement before you can sign up with this service and you're just kind of like scroll, 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 accept. It, it, it's kind of like reading that type of things, but there, there is a lot of stories uh, that kind of go in here. And a lot of it's really unusual because there's some things that are in this document that are not really legalese. Uh, it's really kind of, it's really kind of unusual. Uh, 
it's very unusual. Like for instance, let me, I'm going to go ahead and uh, remove this uh, court case document because I don't know that, I wonder if I can like zoom in on some of this stuff and make it bigger for you guys to be able to see on that. Uh, I can't. All right. So I'm going to remove this for right now. And I'm going to come back to this because there's some things that I, there was just some things that I, I found interesting. Um, this is out of context. There's nothing really in order about some of the things that I found in here. Um, but I'm going to share it anyways. Okay. Um, anyways, <laughs> I was going to take a first, my first thing that, that I immediately cut because most of it reads just like it is. They all identify who they are. You know, Londell identifies who he is. Charles identifies who he is. Uh, they identify. Like when they go through, they first start out with the defendants and they, in, they, they talk about, you know, who Sharon is uh, and, you know, what her position is there. And then they kind of briefly talk about each one of the defendants very, very briefly. It's very, very briefly. But when it comes to the paragraph about Londell, it's like, <laughs> it like reads like a, a, a LinkedIn bio. It's like, this is like what Macmillan had decades long relationship with Prince as a friend and longtime business and legal advisor during which together they were responsible for making innovative business deals in the entertainment industry. In addition to Prince, Macmillan has represented numerous world renowned artists, including Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, uh, Apple, the Beatles legacy operating company, Billy Joel, Aretha Franklin, Kanye West, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on for like a couple paragraphs of this. Everybody else just gives briefs mentioned, brief mentions, but on Londell's it's, it's really kind of, it's really kind of a glowing. It's, it's this like bio read. Uh, it was just unusual because it's with everything else being legal speak, there's a lot of things that are notated in the explanation about who he is that really don't speak to the case. It speaks a little bit. I think the purpose of it being the purpose of it being showing that, Londell knows what he's doing. That that is the that is the purpose of that paragraph, and um, that is the purpose of that paragraph. But it really doesn't have any credence in this particular case, outside of that, uh, because there was just there was just a lot of that. Uh, Jasmine says, "When are they leaving?" I I don't I don't know th th this. <laughs> we're, we're going to get to some of this stuff. So let me go ahead and go back to this because here are some other things that I found interesting here. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of talking a little bit about who can kind of do what. First off, Londell and Charles were given the title of managing members. And the primary reason why they were given the title of managing members was because of their background in music industry and music dealings, um, kind of navigating the legal world that comes with, you know, estates that are this big, that are very, very complicated. Um, and that's essentially why that they were kind of given managing member status and, and to the point and to the contractual agreements that happened before Everybody that was at the table at that time agreed that that should be the case because of their background. I've heard stories about that there was trickery involved and uh, into whatever else, but everybody at that table agreed. 
whether there was a contract that was placed in front of somebody that they, that people like Sharon and Noreen, again, they just like scrolled it like it was an agreement for Facebook. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sign whatever the case may be. They signed it and they put them in that position. Uh, what's a little bit dis not disturbing. That's not the right word. What's a little bit seems um, unfair was that the other members being Noreen and Sharon uh, and Alan and those folks were labeled as non-managing members. And the problem is, is that with a non-managing member's title in the contract, they actually have no power. They had no power whatsoever. They can't call meetings. They can't schedule a meeting and say, hey, let's meet to talk about this. They're not allowed to do it in any type of official capacity. They can meet off to the side. They can do whatever. But as far as anything that has to do with the estate in any type of official capacity, they don't have that power. And it's all in that contract just as that way. Now, what this part, particular part of the contract says, it says, during this, these discussions, despite her prior assignment of management, management authority to McMillan and Spicer, Sharon Nelson proposed that she should be appointed to sole managing member. Sharon's proposal was rejected by the other heirs and owners, and Sharon then proposed that she should be appointed co-managing member, and this proposal was also rejected by the other heirs and owner, not just not just McMillan and Spicer, and uh, the owners being, uh, I, I guess, I don't know that Primary Wave had any uh, any say in this particular part of it, because certainly as we'll find out later in the contract, primary wave was not invited to any of these meetings that happened with this part of the estate, this half of the estate further in the contract. It specifically says that Noreen was trying to invite primary wave to the table for some of these meetings so that they could participate in some of these decisions. But, in the contract, they were not, but it kept being denied by Londell and Charles because they said that something in the contract said that, you know, these are private discussions that we need to be having. And again, I'm not just saying anything out of this. This is not rumor and conjecture. This is in this document here. So we'll talk about that when we get to it. But this that's kind of a little point that I want to make about this. Uh, but anyways, so Sharon wants to be a managing, a sole managing member because of the fact that she has no musical background as far as dealing with some of this legalese and dealing with some of this contract and stuff and the musical background, not just the owners, but the heirs, even the people that were are supposedly on her side said no. And then when she wanted to be named a co-managing member, again, the heirs all said no. And with no support from her appointment as a managing member, Sharon reaffirmed her prior agreement and insisted that Spicer should be appointed as a co-managing member with McMillan for the company. So essentially bringing Charles Spicer into the mix was her thought. Her thought was if I bring Charles into the mix, you know, he can at least sound as he can serve as a sounding board for me and maybe he'll listen to me and maybe, you know, he'll be able to offset you know, any decisions that Londell makes or, or whatever her thought process was. All that being said, unfortunately, Sharon put these two gentlemen into position. And I, I, I don't mean to say, uh, unfortunately, in a disingenuous way or to you know, as any type of slap towards them. I'm just saying, unfortunately for them, uh, them being Sharon, Noreen and them, 
this is the position that they put themselves in by giving them the power that they gave them. So um, this is kind of everything where it's just, uh, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it, it is what it is. All right, let's go to the next little thing. So the way, here's something else that um, this is another section of the contract that does not read like legalese. This is, again, another segment of this court case that in this document that look like it's a biopic, like further kind of establishing themselves that, hey, we've been in this position. We've been making all these decisions. Everything's been great. Um, and here's the proof of it. And in this particular part of the contract, it says, since the Princeton State assets were distributed in August 2022, the Macmillan and it's, I don't know why it says uh, the but it says the Macmillan and Spicer have worked collaboratively with Prince OAT being primary wave to consistently achieve successful results on behalf of Prince legacy. These successful results include a favorable renegotiation of licenses for Prince's musical performance. Um, okay. I, I, I wasn't sure that they were involved in that particular part of it. Wasn't that um, what's her name? Anyways, uh, anyways, include favorable negotiation of licenses for Prince's musical performance and music publishing administration rights and planning and hosting a successful and well-attended celebration 2023 at Paisley Park. In addition, Macmillan and Spicer oversaw the release of the Diamonds and Pearls Super Deluxe reissue box set, which received uniformly positive reviews, several year-end awards, and top rankings in industry publications. As a result, 2023 was one of the largest revenue generating years for the Prince Estate assets in the past seven years. Now, let's talk about this just for a second. Let's talk about this for a second. Um, no matter what you think about Londell and Charles, how you feel about how they handled their business, how you feel about them as individuals, they are involved in this process, working with Primary Wave to get this music released, to put together whatever they need to put together for the celebration. So they do actually have their hands in quite a bit in trying to make this stuff happen, whether it's the material that you wanted released, whether it's, you know, whether you don't agree with the quality of the music that was released or what they released, or again, how you felt about what was going on with the celebration. Did we get enough? You know, there's a lot of things that people complain about throughout this process, but the truth of the matter is we've been getting a lot of stuff. We've been getting a lot of music. We've been getting a lot of everything. Um, so to their point, and this is probably why this exists in this particular contract is kind of showing this like, look, you put us in position to kind of do this, 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 and this. And we've done this, 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 and this, but a lot of people have a, uh, a lot of people have a lot of issues with, with them just because of the fact that they kind of feel like, um, the primary thing that people have problems with. <clears throat> and I know that we've got, I, I, I honestly do not look at the financials or what the, what the, the numbers are. I don't know if that's true if 2023 was the largest revenue generating years for the Prince estate. I, I, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I don't know what their, their uh, oversight was for the diamonds and pearls, super deluxe reissue box set. I mean, uh, 
I have the super, uh, I have the super deluxe reissue box set and I know there was tons of people that were involved in this and I don't know what their oversight was for it. So when you put it in this document though, when you put it in this court case, uh, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know how much of this true. I, I just don't, I just don't know how much of it is true. And I know a lot of people do not want to hear me say this and be like, you know, I thought this was going to be a McMillan and Spicer hate fest. It, it, I, I already told you right out of the gate, it's not going to be. I'm reading the court case as it is and trying to, again, to give you a little bit of perspective and trying to play devil's advocate. Although I know that people don't want me to play devil's advocate. I was just like, nope, you just need to just, you know, <laughs> where's your poster? Oust them. That's, I, I, I can't do that right now because <laughs> I, I haven't. There are some people on here in the chat room right now who have a big issue with Lundell and Charles and really, really dislike them as individuals. Um, I have seen some of the things that people are talking about as far as, you know, character and, and personalities. I, 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 I get that. I understand it. Um, and you can't be in the position that they're in for the period of time that they've been in and have some of that stuff, you know personality wise just kind of happened. But what's interesting about this court case is that they spent a really large portion of time. And this kind of has Londell's verbiage all over it really kind of putting a lot of verbiage into this court case to support their case that they know what they're doing. And I feel like um, that's not the core of what this case is, but I guess because of the fact that what has happened that brought this court case on is where we're kind of going. So um, let's talk a little bit more, shall we? I know there's some people that are very happy, very unhappy with, with my ap approach to how I'm, I'm talking about this. And I get it. Uh, I'm just not trying to bring any type of legal storms onto me. Uh, I'm not here to have any type of defamation to character. I do not know them. I do not know either of these individuals well enough to be up here talking shit about them and shitting on their efforts. And I, I just don't, I don't know enough about them. There are people here that specialize in really kind of calling people out for their, for their stuff. Um, I am like most Prince fans where we're, we're going to continue talking about the court case. I'm just kind of going on a little bit of tangent here. Uh, there are Prince fans that are out there that are kind of a lot like me where we just want the music. It's just like all this stuff that's going on in the side. It's just like, I, I hate it. I hate that it's going on. I hate that the estate is in the situation or in the state that it's in right now. Um, but I, I really just want the music and I want his legacy to be protected. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that if there's any type of scenario where, you know, anybody that is in this position, whether it be primary wave, whether it be Londell, whether it be Charles, whether it be Sharon or anybody that anybody that's doing anything to damage Prince's legacy, they need to be out. That is the end of the story. If I, Anything that's going on like that, they got to be out. Got to be out. Because if you can't protect Prince's legacy and you can't protect his music, you got to go. You have to go. 
Yeah. That's all there is to it. Out your head. And um, <laughs> I'm hoping Lame that brain. <laughs> we'll get kind of a little bit more clarity on some of this stuff, but you know. Yeah. You out your head. <laughs> Lame brain. All right. So we'll talk about it just a little bit here. It's um all right, let's let's talk a little bit more about this. All right, let me just talk about some other stuff in the contract. It talks about some of the specific things that the managing members can do. Okay. It says the managing members shall be responsible for the day-to-day management of the company's businesses and affairs. The managing, and now remember, the managing members are just Londell and Charles. So this is one of the issues that I do have with the way that this contract is written, the contracts that preceded this this court case, uh, in the way that Londell and Charles have been, the level of power that they have been given to veto anything and everything without any say from the heirs at all. And as I said, later on in this court case, it's it has some indicators in there that describe that non-managing members, and the reason why they bring this up is because they want to show that they don't have any power, is that non-managing members can't even call meetings to talk about stuff in any official official capacity. You got you want to have a, 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 a Zoom meeting on your own, off to the side, knock yourself out, but you don't have any power. The only people that have power are the managing members who are Londale and Charles. And really, in my honest opinion, that is, I don't think that that's fair. Uh, do I think that, let, let, let's face it, Sharon, and I don't know a lot of them personally. I've met Sharon a couple of times. Uh, I've met John Jr. a couple of times. Uh, Londell and Charles, I've met them a couple of times. Um, but Sharon, Noreen, Alan, those folks, they don't have any real background other than being aspiring musicians back in the day. They really don't have any background in music and the legalities of it and music business and management of that. They just don't, they don't have any, they don't have any, any of that background. So you need to have somebody who's in charge that does have that background, but you also have to look at the individuals that you put in charge of doing that and make sure that they're going to have your best interest at heart. Do Londell and Charles have their best interest at heart? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about them to know. I know that they've been in the music business for a long time. And I know that Londell has overseen a lot of business, a lot of music business, so he certainly has the the background for it. Um, but is this written in a fair way to the heirs? It's it, No, not really. They should have some type of power. And from way this contract, the way the contract reads and the way the court case reads, the non-managing members don't do anything except get checks. They don't seem like it has any, they don't, it doesn't seem like they have any power. Uh, even their voting power is outvoted when Londell and Charles are in the mix. It's like even your votes don't really count as votes because they can get overwritten. So that's that's one of the things that I have a, a little bit of an issue with uh, is that everybody that is sharing that 50% stake should have a fair voice in what's happening. And that's not that's not the way this reads at all. Contract before this or here. 
Uh, so anyways, let's go back to this. The managing members, Waddell and Charles, are responsible for the day-to-day -day management of the company's business and affairs. Okay. The managing members shall coordinate meetings, conference calls, and communicate as reasonably required subject to a meeting once every other meeting. I don't need, that doesn't make any sense to me. Anyways, with respect to contractual and legal matters handled by managing members, McMillan shall provide and make the final decision on such business and legal matters. Let me read that again. With respect to contractual and legal matters handled by the managing members, Londell McMillan shall provide and make the final decision on such business and legal matters. I don't think I have to read that again. He makes the final decision on business and legal matters. And the last thing on here, specifically, except as otherwise limited to this agreement, the managing members are authorized, the managing members, not the non-managing members, are authorized to own, hold, manage, administer, operate, lease, sell, exchange, pledge, encumber, transfer, purchase, grant options related to, and otherwise deal with the company assets in Delaware or any other state on behalf of the company, except as otherwise provided in section 6.3 hereunder. So this is kind of where this court case kind of gets rooted. Sharon was getting very, very frustrated with the fact that she was trying to work. So let me, let me talk a little bit about this because this is, this kind of speaks a little bit to the root of where this court case came from. Sharon wants to oust Londell and Charles as managing members. She feels like she was tricked into the scenario. She feels like she was duped in this, that she was tricked into putting Charles into the mix. Uh, she kind of feels like, she wanted to insert Charles into there and what ended up happening, you know, as, as kind of her voice box and what ended up happening is a partnership between Londell and Charles that kind of moved everybody to the back burner, including herself. So she wants to oust Londell and Charles. And that's what was happening in the background. And that's what was happening in the background. And it came up in a meeting. It came up in a phone meeting that Londell and Charles were blindsided by when they did a conference call meeting. We're going to get to this. I'm going to, I'm going to actually read it to you in the court case, but I'm trying to give you a little bit of background as to what happened and what's kind of going down with this court case. So they go to have a meeting and there all of a sudden there are two attorneys representing Sharon, one representing Sharon and one representing the other heirs that are talking about wanting to vote Londell and Charles out as managing members. Unfortunately for them, because of the way the contract is written, that's types of stuff. There's two things that have to happen. First, you have, you cannot call a meeting where any vote has to take place unless everybody agrees that there's going to be a vote taking place. And that didn't happen. Secondly, 
they're supposed to be alerted when anything like this is supposed to be coming and they didn't. So what ends up happening is you got these attorneys that all of a sudden popped up in this meeting online that are telling Lundell and Charles that they're being ousted and now we're going to vote on this. And Lundell and Charles, backed by the contract the way that it's written, were basically allowed to say, no, you're not voting us out because first off, that's not how this works. Everybody has to collectively and majority vote us out, which is not going to happen because they represent a large chunk of it. Uh, and then the second is, is that you cannot vote on anything unless you say and preface it by saying that you're going to vote on it. And that didn't happen either. So the meeting was basically abruptly ended. And that was that. And that's where this court case came from because Londell and Charles all of a sudden realized that they were being there, that these people were coming in and trying to oust them. So this court case is basically appealing to the court saying, look, these other, these heirs are in breach of contract. And what's interesting, what's interesting is, is that the court case, if you continue to read it, the court case does not say, and because of this breach of contract, we want these heirs out of it. That's not what the court case says. The court case basically says that they need the heirs to stop doing this and to stop interrupting business and stop being detrimental to the business. And maybe if they continue as a result, uh, then maybe there will be legal action and they'll have to be removed because they're being, their actions are being detrimental to the estate. But essentially this court case, as you read it, just kind of says, we just need them to stop doing this. So I am going to, uh, I'll, I'll continue looking at some of these pieces with you just so you can kind of read a little bit more into this, but it's just, it just gets more silly as it goes. Uh, all right. So, uh, so once they found out that they were trying to be ousted, this part of the court case kind of talks a little bit about the fact that why they're trying to oust us, why they're trying to take us out. So this is McMillan and Spicer pleading their case. It says there exists no basis for removal or replacement of either McMillan or Spicer under six section 6.2 nor have the individual defendants alleged any grounds for such removal, meaning that why are they removing us? What have we done that warrants us being ousted? And it says, nor, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I read that, read that part. Much less a failure to perform the managing member's responsibilities or failure to provide day-to-day -day man management as is required under section 6.2. At all relevant times, McMillan and Spicer have performed their responsibility under the LLC agreement and have provided comprehensive daily management of Prince's legacy, legacy's numerous and complicated business and legal affairs, including the management of numerous concurrent and successful transactions in various sectors of the section, yeah, I'm sorry, sectors of the entertainment industry the global maintenance and enforcement of Prince's intellectual property rights and overseeing the management and operation of the Paisley Park Museum and event space. So this is essentially what it's saying. Sorry, I had to take a, had to take a drink here. Um, essentially, it's saying that you want to oust us, but what are you ousting us for? 
We've done everything in the contract that we said we were going to do. We've been managing the business. We've been overseeing the releases. We've been overseeing the overseeing the management operation of Paisley Park. We have been overseeing the intellectual property rights. What is it that you specifically have an issue with, with us? And while there have been numerous reports and documentation of scenarios and situations previously in previous contracts that have indicated, um, I, I guess what some might refer to as deceptive practices, uh, trickery, whatever it is on behalf of, of Londell and Charles that purportedly, you know, a contract will say one thing, but Londo will say something else in public. Uh, again, I, there are other people that are are well versed in that, but in this particular case, as far as the estate is concerned, their complaint is: What have we done in order for you guys to come and and oust us? So now we move to a part of the con- <laughs> they move to a part of the contract or the part of the court case where they start to kind of fill fill the court in on exactly what it is that Sharon has been doing. Uh, and so it kind of goes on a little bit further here. It says the individual defendants, obviously being Sharon and Noreen and them, have never alleged that either McMillan or Spicer have failed to perform their responsibilities or provide day-to-day management of the business of Prince Legacy, nor do the individual defendants raised at any members meeting or otherwise any major issues concerning the actions of McMillan or Spicer in managing the business or affairs of Prince's legacy or Prince legacy. So I don't know whether that's true or not. I'm not in these meetings. So if there were any specific things that were brought up at these meetings, all of the meetings are recorded. I guarantee you these meetings are absolutely positively recorded. So if Sharon and them can prove that they've had major, major issues with something specific that Londell and Charles are doing, it would be documented in these meetings for sure. I'd amend, I imagine that. So because of all this stuff that was going on, from what I understand and from what I'm trying to read between the lines, what Sharon and Noreen, I, I guess, essentially tried to do and what I had heard because I can't write, I can't really read between the lines, but what it sounds like happened, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, is that they tried to then sell their shares to Primary Wave. <laughs> so they kind of circumvent this. Essentially, I think what the goal was, was if we sell our shares to Primary Wave, then Primary Wave's percentage goes from 50 to whatever to 75 whatever it is that the heirs own collectively so if the heirs can sell their 25 percent, i'm just saying i don't know what the exact percentages are because all those are redacted but if they can sell their share over to primary wave just cash out and be done with this that primary wave will then have the power to be able to oust them as managing members, since they will then be the majority and then primary wave will move whoever they want to into that position. So um, Vanessa says 1%. So primary wave would have 51%. Okay. I thought it was more than that, but either way, 
that 51% would then be the majority, and then they could technically be ousted. So if they got ousted, then primary wave can put whoever they want to in there, and then it becomes a totally and completely different place. Okay? Um, and that may be exactly what people want. I know that people are stomping their feet and being very, very upset and are very just annoyed by this whole situation. But, you know, so all this trickery is going on. So unfortunately, they can't sell their shares. So this is the part of the, the court case where Mondell and their attorneys are kind of indicated that I'm not going to reread this rigmarole as far as this legalese, but essentially it's saying non-managing members or any members cannot sell their shares to anybody else. You can't transfer them out. You can't give them away. You can't do anything at all with your shares uh, unless it's approved by all of the members. So once again, they've kind of protected themselves from this being able to happen. This is like, you know, they're never going to be able to get themselves into a situation where they are not going to be in control. You cannot make any decisions that are going to take us out of control. You can't call any meetings to that's going to take us out of control. You cannot sell any of your shares to give control over to somebody else to take us out of control without all of our votes. They basically have made sure that they've got a lot of ironclad things that are going on that is going to make sure and ensure that they stay in control. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. They really locked it up. That's exactly what it is. Uh, the last sentence of this uh, paragraph that I have up here, it says, if any member should desire to transfer or otherwise dispose of all or any part of such member's interest in the company, such member shall first submit to the company a written offer to sell all or part of such interest in the company. So not only can you not do that, but even if you wanted to do that and you wanted to put a hard, you, you really want it out, no matter what, like you're stuck with those shares. Your next option is to offer it to the other members to purchase it from you. Not primary wave, but the other members that are on the managing side. They got it locked up. They got this shit locked up. Now, now we start getting into exactly what kind of caused this court case. Now, we, I already told you about it, but I'm going to read you exactly the verbiage that is in this court case. Um, again, there are some parts of this that just don't read like a typical standard court document. It's just the way that it's worded just seems like you can say that, you know, this, this whole entire document is a template and the, the parts that were fill in the blank are very, very, uh, flowery with their language. And so it kind of, it, it's, it's like this. It kind of, these items stick out like a sore thumb. So the first one is talking about Sharon. And it says, Sharon's consistent bad faith acts to interfere and make management decisions. That is the title of this section. That's not a sentence. That's the actual title of this section. Sharon's consistent bad faith acts to interfere and make management decisions. And it reads, Despite having been instrumental in formulating key terms of the LLC agreement relating to control and transfer of interest and having recommended Spicer to serve as the managing member with McMillan, remember we talked about that, Sharon became disgruntled and unhappy when her immediate and unreasonable demands regarding management of the company's business were not implemented. Further, 
she was offended that her actions concerning certain Prince Estate assets were subject to approval by other members of Prince Legacy who were not willing to grant her complete and unilateral control, which she attempted, which she attempted to assert contrary to the terms of the LLC agreement and the discussions leading to its formation. For example, Sharon saw, sought, unsuccessfully, to replace the entire staff of Paisley Park with individuals of her choosing and take charge of Paisley Park. Her demands for lavish events held at Paisley Park at the expense of Paisley Park were likewise rejected. Sharon also attempted to block Brianna, Johnny, and Alan, the co-trustees of the trust, from receiving from receiving company business information and attending members' meetings, claiming that they were not true family members nor legitimate owners of the Prince Estate's assets. Macmillan and Spicer objected to her efforts and ensured that the co-trustees' interests were protected. So it kind of gives a little bit of... Uh, it kind of gives a little bit of perspective of exactly what's going on as far as, you know, Sharon is concerned and some of the changes that she was willing to make. It does make you wonder a little bit exactly what exactly is happening and what some of the core reasoning for the decisions that she was making. Like, did she really, and maybe there's some other people that can answer this. Did she really go to try to attempt to clear out Paisley Park's employees and just fire everybody and just to place somebody in to uh, that she knows people that she knows to run Paisley Park. Was that what was going on? Mm. I don't know. That seems a little unnecessary because I know a lot of people that work at Paisley Park and some of them are really, really great individuals who are really there only they don't make a whole bunch of money. It's not like you got a, a crazy amount of unbelievably well-paying jobs that are happening at Paisley Park. Most of those people that run the tours and stuff are not there because of the money and because they are like financially secure and, and sound. They are doing it because they love Prince and because of the fact that they want to pretend, protect his legacy and they want to make, make sure that, hey, when people come in here and do the tours, we want to make sure that they get the correct information, even though some of the information is not always correct or accurate, but, uh, they do their best. And, uh, a lot of people do actually have a lot of great information. Uh, but I know they get tested quite a bit by all these Prince know-it-alls that come in there and, you know, try to find, you know, try to find them spouting incorrect information just so they can kind of challenge them in front of a tour. It's like, that's not the time for it. Don't worry about it. But there is a lot of people that don't, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that don't seem to anyways why would you want to fire all these people uh because a lot of them are really really good people and a lot of people are really um i don't know that's just my that's just my take on this but there's more we'll go ahead and and uh show some of that show some of this other stuff now here's kind of another interesting thing is because of the fact that you know none of this stuff that sharon was trying to do worked out didn't get approved and whatever else Sharon took it to the next level, which actually speaks to Vanessa Bartholomew, who is in this chat room right now. Uh, Vanessa was named in this court case. Hi, Vanessa. We're going to talk about you here now 
It says, rather than raising her grievances with plaintiffs and the other members directly, on November 30th, 2022, Nelson sent a letter to Macmillan and Spicer in which he falsely accused them of, and it's redacted. I don't know exactly what she accused them of. Maybe if somebody has seen this non-redacted version of this document, we can find out what that is. But anyways, it says, accused them of, redacted, and threatened that unless they immediately resigned their positions as managing members and assigned their entire interest in Prince Legacy back to the other members, that she would publish her she would publish her false allegations and sue them. First off, there's nothing that says that her allegations that she's making are false. This is just asserting that her allegations are false. But if she can actually prove the allegations that she has against them, then they're not false allegations. So she's going to have to come get ready with the proof that she has that the allegations that she has are actually correct. What If this court case goes any further and ends up being in front of a, a judge, she needs to come correct if she's got allegations against them. But we don't know what those are. Anyways, Sharon shared this letter and other confidential business information of Prince Legacy with third parties. And it says, since April 2023, an individual using the name Vanessa Bartholomew, hi Vanessa, has posted numerous YouTube videos disclosing highly confidential information concerning Prince Legacy's business deals, which was only available to members and the terms of confidential business documents, including the LLC agreement. Sharon confirmed that she has been communicating with Bartholomew. Now, I have watched a lot of these, a lot of the videos of Vanessa's. And from what I have seen, the documents that she has shared and the documents that she has talked about were publicly available via court documents. Just It's simply just a matter of going through the process of physically going down to any court building and requesting copies of them. As far as I know, I have not, I don't think that I have seen any videos. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't remember recalling any videos where she was talking about or divulging information that was not public record. I could be wrong, but as far from the videos that I have seen, uh, the videos that I have seen were all public domain documents and of public record. Um, I also know what is a little bit humorous here is they keep referring to her as Vanessa Bartholomew, who is obviously a character in one of Prince's albums. Remember that part was played by Kirstie Alley. She was a reporter. Her name was Vanessa Bartholomew. She has never divulged what her real name is. And what's even more uh, entertaining is not the right word, right word here. But what's even more interesting is that they've never been able to identify her real name. So Vanessa is, Vanessa is very, very artfully, which in this day and age is shocking to me. Uh, has managed to keep her identity completely hidden. 
I don't know how you do with that in this day and age, but somehow she has masterfully been able to keep her name, <laughs> keep her real name out of the press. It's pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, anyways, <laughs> that being said, uh, Vanessa is actually named in this. Now she's not named as a defendant in the scenario, but obviously I think that if they actually knew her real name or could figure out a way to get to her, they probably would. Uh, but they can't. So this is the extent of Vanessa being named here. And they're simply insinuating that Sharon is, is sharing a bunch of information with Vanessa that is not, is not publicly available. Uh, again, this is something else that they're going to have to be able to prove. Uh, they're going to have to, they're most likely have already downloaded all of Vanessa's videos and they're probably, you know, scouring over it and probably, I, I don't know. I'm sure they've done all those things, but that being said, pretty crazy that, uh, Vanessa, you're, you're famous. <laughs> Vanessa says, but what if it is my name? Uh, there you go. <laughs> Maybe it is. Uh, and now it talks about Brianna. Now that that was what the court case was in in regards to Sharon being the defendant and what she did that they is they feel qualifies as a breach of contract. This is Brianna's situation with this whole scenario, and the title is <laughs> just so uh, we know. See here, it says Brianna's improper efforts to interfere and make management decisions. So that's the title of this one. Again, the sore thumb, where it just doesn't it doesn't. It's like a fill in the blank type of thing. And here is what it says about Brianna. It says on June 15th, 2023. So this is the middle of last year. Brianna sent an email to Macmillan and Spicer demanding that all non-managing members be copied on all emails with Prince OAT, that being primary wave and all emails concerning Prince legacy business deals, including all licensing negotiations. She also unilaterally contacted representatives from Prince OAT, Primary Wave, and invited them to attend the Prince Legacy members meeting scheduled for June 17th, 2023. So a couple of days after. Spicer responded to her email writing that Prince Legacy business was to be discussed among Prince Legacy members only. And that as per the managing members authority and obligations under the LLC agreement, all information was to be provided at members' regular meetings. Brianna also sought to overstep management by demanding the hiring of a new executive director, as well as a social media manager for Paisley Park, and attempting to appoint her son as an intern of Paisley Park in the marketing department prior to the hiring of a department manager and without discussing it with all the members. Brianna expressed her displeasure at not being able to unilaterally make such decisions to the Macmillan and Spicer. There is that the Macmillan and Spicer again. And uh, so this is actually, <laughs> so there's a lot of things that are going on here that are kind of strange, a little bit unusual. Um, it's just a little unusual. So let me go to the actual document here. Um, because what's interesting here is um, I want to look at, uh, let's see if I can get to 
page 24 of this here because I this actually we're we're going all the way. I want to go down this document because I want to I want to share with you what the court case talks about with on uh, page 24 regarding this this meeting that went awry. And uh it's very, very interesting for sure. And uh I just want to go ahead and just apologize on behalf of anybody that's upset with me <laughs> doing this meeting. Again, I am not trying to cause any type of problems. I am not trying to, I just, people want to hear purple news and this is purple news. You know, we just want to just talk to, you know, tune in to somebody, you know, when we do an official release, cool. But when it's purple news, that's kind of this big, you really got to, you have to look. Uh, so anyways, it says here, um, this is where, this is the meeting that went, went sideways. <laughs> the section is the individual defendants, bad faith and unauthorized vote to remove the current managing members and appoint themselves as managing members. It says Prior to December 13th, 2023, this is not even too long ago. This isn't, this isn't even a month ago or like a month to the day. Macmillan and Spicer received an email from Brianna asking that the agenda for the meeting be modified to include a discussion of Section 2 of the LLC agreement, which concerns capital contributions. Macmillan and Spicer viewed this as a strange request since the subject had never come up before, but acquiesced. At the meeting held via video conference, two individuals showed up unannounced. Minnesota attorney Steve Ling, who claimed to represent Brianna, Noreen, and Allen, and Minnesota attorney Ralph Love, who claimed to represent Sharon. Both men claimed to be attending pursuant to proxies for their respective clients who were not on the call. So you got these two attorneys that popped up, but the clients who would be Sharon and it was uh, Sharon, Brianna, Noreen, and Allen were not there. Upon commencement of the meeting, Ling attempted to call a vote to amend the LLC agreement. Londell McMillan pointed out that there was no vote on the meeting agenda. Remember, I told you that anytime there is a vote regarding anything that's going to change a contractual obligation has to be indicated on there so that all the members who could possibly vote on it be present. Uh, Ling claimed that a discussion regarding the LLC's regarding the LLC agreement had been recently ad added to the agenda. McMillan showed him Brianna's email refer referencing the capital contribution provision and stated there had been no proper notice and there would be no vote. Apart from mentioning that the proposed amendments included appointing new managing members, Ling refused to provide any more detail or to further discuss the proposed amendments, despite invitations to do so and demanded that the vote be added to the agenda for the next members meeting scheduled for December 20th, 2023. He told McMillan and Spicer that he would provide the text of the proposed amendments promptly for their review. In the correspondence over the next several days, McMillan and Spicer informed Ling that the non-managing members did not have the right or authority under the LLC agreement to call a vote to amend the LLC agreement and ask him repeatedly to provide a legal basis for his assertions to the contrary. Ling, their attorney, failed to provide any response, claiming that there was ample basis. So this is a day before the next meeting that they're supposed to do this vote. And it says, having not received the promised proposed amendments from Ling 
And due to the holidays and their travel schedules on December 20th, McMillan and Spicer canceled the December 20th members meeting and indicated they would reschedule it. So Ling thereafter informed them that the non-managing members would be holding their own meeting on December 20th and would be holding their own vote on their proposed amendments to the LLC agreement. And so under section 6.2 of the LLC agreement, the managing members are expressly given the authority to coordinate meetings. So let me just pause here for a second, because I want to, I, I want to make sure that you guys kind of wrap your heads around what, <laughs> what wait, there's uh, what, what this is about. So the two attorneys that were representing the heirs showed up at this meeting. The heirs were not there. And basically said, hey, we're going to make a bunch of adjustments to the, well, not a bunch of adjustments, but a major adjustments to the agreement. And we're going to vote on it now. And of course, that's not going to happen because not everybody's there. And on top of that, you have to indicate that there's going to be a vote. And that didn't happen. And so because of the fact that they weren't doing it by the book, uh, the attorney then informs McMillan and Spicer that they're going to hold their own meeting and they're going to vote regardless of whether they're there or not, we're going to make their own, own decision there. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is, it is probably one of the most craziest things I have seen in a long time. Uh, the amount of, everybody here knows that there are two sides to every story. And in this case, there are like five sides to the story. This court case sound makes it sound like the heirs are just totally off the rails. Like Sharon is wanting to fire everybody at Paisley Park and bring in people that she wants to run Paisley Park. And that Brianna is uh, wanting to bring in her family in order to run the marketing department for Paisley Park. Uh, that they've gone through the process of hiring these attorneys to go ahead and strong arm McMillan and Spicer into selling their selling their shares or just letting go of their shares. And and the reality of it is, it, it from the way this court case sounds, it just doesn't sound like. It just doesn't sound like it, they were very, very well prepared to to go through this process. Um, I don't know what any of this documentation that Sharon has. Vanessa may be very, very. Uh, Vanessa obviously has a lot of this documentation that is the core basis of the decisions that Sharon made in order to do some of this stuff. She's indicated here uh, in the chat room. Vanessa says, "I'm going." She says, I'm going to break this mess down this weekend. I got y'all. So uh, stay tuned to Vanessa's channel because she is going to break this down even further about you know, this, probably the specifics about what the, the, the foundation is of the case uh, on, on the side of, obviously on the side of um, Sharon and the, and the heirs, because obviously there's, there's, there's a bunch there. There's a, there's a bunch there. Uh, but let's go ahead and just kind of fast forward a little bit because that's kind of what everything's going on here. And again, one of the kind of points I wanted to kind of drive home is that it says here, um, the non-managing members basically don't have any power here. Um, they just simply just don't have any power. And the problem is, is that um, they've indicated on here 
um, everything that Londell and uh, unfortunately there's like a huge section here that talks about exactly what McMillan and Spicer are in the process of doing for the Prince estate, what everything that they're involved in, all the decisions that they're making uh, in the coming year about stuff that's happening, stuff that's coming down the pike and everything, but all of that is redacted. So if we can get a hold of the unredacted version of this, we can actually see what's coming down the pike for 2024. So, um, cause here it is. If you're looking at that document that I sent you on the page 31 in section 93, it says currently McMillan and Spicer are engaged in a number of complex and critical projects on behalf of Prince legacy, including, and it's all redacted. It looks like a pride boy flag. <laughs> it's just a bunch of black stripes. So, <laughs> sorry. I have to be me at some point in time here. Uh, but it's really, it, it's, it's just crazy. Um, it's, and then it kind of talks and then it kind of goes into the process of kind of uh, making it sound like the defendants are just off the rails in section 95 here. This is on page 32. It says the individual defendants lack any business and management experience, have no experience in the music and entertainment industries and have no experience negotiating and managing high level deals in the entertainment industry. They have a documented history of infighting and based on the amount of complexity of the work that Prince Legacy is involved with, they are simply not capable of stepping in and managing its business. If they install themselves as managing members, they their interference and intervention will make it impossible to carry on the business of Prince Legacy and will cause irreparable harm to the company's goodwill, existing relationships, and revenue streams. The individual defendant's con conduct threatens the myriad business undertakings of Prince Legacy, currently being managed by McMillan and Spicer and threatens the company's relationship with third parties and its leverage in negotiating those deals and threatens the management in cooperation with Prince OAT, primary wave, set forth in the joint management agreement approved by the Progate Court. These deals and relationships will be irreparably harmed if the individual defendant's conduct is allowed to stand. And then, of course, it kind of goes through the process of saying, you know, here's what's going on. It talks about the fact that because of what their actions, this is considered a breach of contract. And essentially, um, it just it kind of further supports that it's a it, everything that they're doing is a breach of uh, contract. And essentially, the document closes with what is referred to as a prayer for relief, which is I, it's kind of weird verbiage uh, in a legal document. I don't know if I've ever seen that. That may be typical uh, lawyer speak, uh, but it says, uh, "Wherefore the plaintiffs, being Londell and Charles." respectfully request this court enter an order as follows declaring that McMillan and Spicer remain the managing members of the company declaring that the LLC agreement has not been amended and that the LLC agreement dated July 25th, 2022 remains in effect and declaring that the individual defendants have breached the LLC agreement and declaring that the individual defendants have breached the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing and enjoining the individual defendants from acting as manager members of the company. Uh, oh, there's a few more. I'm sorry. Uh, awarding plaintiffs reasonable attorney's fees under section 13.9 of the LLC agreement. So basically everything that's involved with attorneys to file this case and anything that's involved with it, that the defendants are going to have to pay these attorney's fees. Awarding, awarding plaintiffs the cost and disbursements of this action as permitted by under applicable law and granting such other relief as the court deems just and proper. So essentially, 
the only thing that they're asking, they're not asking to oust the family members or the heirs. They're simply just saying they need to stop what they're doing. They need to pay for our attorney's fees and having to even go through this process in the first place. And uh, that everything stays exactly as it is right now. That's the extent of it. So I've done a lot of talking here. Uh, I've done a lot of talking here. So I, I would love to kind of, I wish that we had phone lines open so that we can kind of discuss this a little bit, but here's what I can say. Uh, and again, I, I don't know Londell and Charles uh, specifically or personally, not on a personal level level. I've, I, again, I, I've met both of them multiple times, but uh I am, um, I'm waiting to hear the other side of these things. Uh, it's because obviously the heirs have to respond. Sharon, Sharon and them, um, Sharon and them need to, if they actually have any type of reasonable reason to remove Londell and Spicer, which from what I understand they do, uh, we don't know what that is, and obviously it's not named in this court case because they're certainly not going to they're certainly not going to put in this documentation, this court case documentation what the the charge what the details of the charges against them are. Uh, so whatever that is, they better come with it because uh, in order to kind of fight this off, and they better make sure it's rock solid because if it's not rock solid, then what ends up happening is, uh, the court cases, the, the, the court fees and the attorney's fees just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So where do they go from here? Obviously Vanessa is here. Uh, she has been in the chat room. Um, there's no, I don't have any allegiance to anybody here. Just, I, I, I can't reiterate that enough. I, uh, I don't have allegiance to, to anybody. I don't have allegiance to Sharon. Uh, uh, John Jr., Noreen, Vanessa Bartholomew, uh, Londell, Charles, any attorneys? <laughs> I don't have Londell. I don't have any allegiance to anybody, not because I wouldn't give allegiance to anybody. But the reality of it is the only person that I have allegiance to in this matter is Prince. Prince Rogers Nelson. End of story, period. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the reality of what's happening is, uh, what the truth is. The truth is always somewhere in the middle. The the It's always somewhere in the middle. I want the music. I want his legacy to be protected. I don't want you to take his stories and then adapt them for your own agenda. I don't want any of that crap to happen. I don't all, I just want this stuff to be able to be, be protected. You can say what you want about Lundell and Charles. Maybe you don't like them. Maybe you hate them. Maybe you think that they're disgusting individuals. I, that's the literal terms that, and, <laughs> and that they're, they're a bunch of tricksters and whatever it is. I don't know. I do not know them personally. I just don't. I just don't. Uh, I've heard stories. Uh, I had, you know, and Vanessa's already indicated that she is going to be uh, telling the stories. So if you want to hear the other side of the story, she's going to be doing a story this weekend. 
Um, she's going to be doing a story this weekend. Uh, one thing I can tell you is that uh, I think the core of this is that everybody is in to protect Prince. That's it. And if Londell and Charles are found to be doing something that is not within that focus and that target in protecting Prince's legacy, they got to go. If what Sharon and Noreen, and on the same note, if what Sharon and Noreen and what they're all doing is going to adversely affect what's happening and the business dealings and the stability of the Prince estate, they need to be kept in that non-managing position where they can't, they, they don't need to be able to control. If they were tricked into signing away their rights that they rightfully should have, that's fine. Do I believe that they should be able to have a little bit more power and a little bit more say-so to be able to do basic things as a, like call a meeting? Absolutely. Uh, I don't, I don't think that that's fair. I don't, I don't, you know, if you're, you know, no, they don't have any background in music, uh, and whatever, but it was, you know, unfortunately because of the fact that <laughs> I'm using air quotes, Prince didn't have a will. It shook out the way that it shook out. So, um, You 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 want to hear the most craziest thing that I'll say tonight? That is rumor and conjecture. Um, I'm not pointing the fingers or saying anything by this, but I think that there is some there's something else going on. There was something else going on. I here I'll just say it out loud. I do not believe that Prince died without a will. I'll say it. I'll say it out loud. I cannot for the life of me believe that somebody who was so protective of, of his work and did so much fighting to get his, you know, get the rights to his music back and to be doing all the things that he did in order to protect himself, did not think about his mortality at all and have it wrapped up. I, I, it, I, it just boggles my mind to think that that is the case. So, but that's just my personal belief. That's my belief. It doesn't matter what I believe because I'm I'm just Mr. Christopher from Funkatopia. It doesn't matter what I believe, but that is what I believe. I believe that there was a will and it has disappeared. And as a result, things have shook out this way. Now, because of the, there was no will, it shook out the way that it shook out. And the heirs would have complete control of his estate with the 50%, obviously when still being in primary wave and everything else, but they would have complete control if they hadn't signed Charles and Londell into the positions that they signed them into and gave them the power that they gave them, whether they were tricked or not. If they can prove that they were tricked, if they can prove that they were deceived, that's a, that's something entirely, but I don't know the truth of what that is or not. <sighs> So that's my, that's my input. That's my take. So I hope that gave you a little bit more of a clarification as to why this court case has popped up a couple of days ago. Uh, there's, we've just been told there's going to be some more videos that are going to be coming this weekend that are going to give us a little bit more insight as to exactly what happened with Noreen and Sharon 
and some of the reasoning why they've gone the route that they've gone and have made the moves that they made. Um, it didn't seem like what they had planned. It didn't seem like what they had planned as far as the attorneys coming into that meeting and trying to go ahead and vote McMillan and Spicer out worked out the way that they thought it would work out. Um, according to the way the court case reads, but because of the fact that I was not involved in that process, I wasn't in that meeting. Uh, I can only go by the narrative that is put forth in this court case document. If Sharon and those attorneys want to release something to counter sue uh, them and continue this motion, you know, more power to them. Let's hear the other side of the story. I want to hear the other side of the story. Um, meanwhile, I'm sure that I speak for a lot of you where um, I will say that I have, uh, since his passing, I think of everything that we've received. And when you look at, you know, when you look at it of the retrospective of like what, what went down with Michael Jackson and how his estate has been handled, um, a lot less drama, but also a lot less material. Uh, well, that's just because he didn't record a bunch of material. Uh, I think Casey rain told me on Twitter one time that there was only like the, there was maybe, maybe two albums worth of unreleased material from Michael that was sitting unreleased that he was aware of. Uh, so there was a lot less to work out, work with. So, you know, that's the, they're going to be dribbling that stuff out for years. Like here's a new remix, of thriller with two songs that you haven't heard before, but you got a scenario here where you've got Prince that has many, 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 many albums, dozens of albums worth of material, uh, if not hundreds of albums. And that's not even including all the live recordings, the live shows and the videos and everything that exists behind within that vault. Uh, that we have been uh, lucky and blessed enough to have received huge chunks uh, over the years. The sign of the, I mean, the sign of the times release had dozens of unreleased tracks on it. This new one that just came out, the diamonds and pearls, super deluxe had dozens of unreleased tracks on it. Plus on top of that Blu-ray videos of, of concerts from 1992 and the special Olympics show and the sound check from the special Olympics show. And you had the purple rain deluxe that came out that had a couple dozen new tracks on it, like velvet kitty cat and all this other stuff. And we have gotten a bunch of material. Now you're going to credit that to Londell and, and Spicer. No, because they weren't, they weren't at the helm for some of that. Uh, but since they've been at the helm, we still have been regularly receiving stuff. We did get back on the, on track with the, with the celebration Although it hasn't been, you know, kind of executed the way that we would have liked to have seen it. That's, that is what it is. Uh, it still leaves to be said whether or not the celebration is going to be affected by this, uh, by all this debacle between the court case and, and uh, the pushback and vitriol over the adaptation of Purple Rain that's going to be happening on Broadway. There's a lot of stuff going on that could ultimately affect how the celebration shakes out. Um, and <sighs> I don't know what to tell you guys, but I wanted to come on. I kind of felt like this can't wait till Tuesday. 
Uh, so we did a special show tonight on Friday to kind of walk you through some new findings on Broadway, specifically Jill Jones' response to what's going to be happening with this adaptation of Purple Rain, which I found very, very interesting. And on top of that, also share some of the details of this court case. I've already shared the court case link multiple times here. I will share it one more time in the chat if you're listening on uh, YouTube or Facebook. Um, I am, you can look at the chat area and I'm sharing it again. And I will tell you what, after this broadcast, I will go on to Funkatopia and I will do, um, I will put up a link at facebook.com. I mean, sorry, funkatopia.com slash court, C-O-U-R-T, funkatopia.com slash court. I will put up a redirect that will take you from that URL over to this very, very long URL. Uh, for this court case on Bloomberg Law so that you can read over it. Again, uh, there's a good chunk of it that's redacted that I would really like to be able to see. Most of it talks about percentages. Not really too concerned about that. Uh, but that specific section where it talks about some of the things that are coming up that they are right now involved in, I would like to be able to see that, uh, not because of it's, it's any of my business, but because it's out there. <laughs> so I'd like to be able to see it. Uh, so. You know, uh, I would think that as a result of me doing this broadcast, I'm once again going to be in the hot seat, uh, like Vanessa said. Um, but I am not, uh, you know, Vanessa said she's going to be doing another video uh, this weekend, kind of talking a little bit about the other side. Um, I would just say that um, make sure that as you're looking at these things, you know, as far as your feelings regarding Londell and Charles, uh, you get, you need to consider the fact that um, contractually what they have agreed to do for the Prince Estate, they've been doing. Uh, whether or not you like the way that they do it, they like the way that they execute things, uh, you don't like the way that they put together the celebration, you don't like the quality of the content, w whatever it is, it makes no difference. They, they are doing exactly what they said they were going to be doing in the day-to-day -day management of the Prince estate. So if there's other sides to this, where they are in a breach of contract, they, the heirs need to respond because right now, right now, um, right now it, it's, it's not looking great because they're, they're essentially making, uh, they're essentially making the airs look like they are just off the rails. And, uh, I'm hoping that the airs respond because I hate that anybody looks like they're crazy, <laughs> but, but it does not look, it, it does not look good. Jasmine keeps bringing up bingo. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, I think because of the, obviously they want to have bingo night at Paisley Park. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but all that said, uh, there haven't been outside of the celebration. There hasn't been a whole bunch of events that have happened at Paisley Park that have been a, like an immense success. Uh, I think celebration 2023 went over pretty well. There was a lot of people there. We had a lot of fun. We had a good time. Uh, but on the same note, 
some of the events like the dance parties and the unveilings of, or the listening sessions and stuff that they've done, I've heard all kinds of mixed reviews and most of it negative. Uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there either. Um, this is all, everything that they're experiencing right now is a result of marketing. That is the best. That That is... Um, that that is exactly what needs to happen. Their marketing department. Um, I I never want to speak ill will of anybody and job performance, but their marketing department is not good. Um, I feel like they really kind of dropped the ball on a lot of different things. I don't think they let people know things in advance in a, in enough advance notice to give people an opportunity to be able to react. You can't tell people that, oh, a dance party is going to be happening next week. You know, some people, you know, maybe, you know, and the guests and, and events that are being held at Paisley Park aren't really anything that kind of are like huge draws. Uh, so I just think they, they, they have they have a marketing issue. The social media just seems to kind of just be splattered across whatever. Um but those are all things that are, that are fixable. Even if with the people that are already currently in place, you just kind of just got to just, you know, make sure they're just doing better work and that you're also giving them content. Marketing people just can't just simply just make something up. They can't just make up events. Uh, there are things that there just seems to be a, a break in the, in the line of command. Um, but we're all, we're, we're going to see. <laughs> we're going to see. Uh, Heidi says they've had a job posted on the Paisley website for a PR person for months, but it's way underpaid for what they want the person to do. Um, listen, I know you probably uh, were hoping to have a big, you're hoping for me to have a big Londell and Charles hate fest. Uh, but, you know, you know, I deal with factual information and you know, if I see something that is like insanely egregious, I'll talk about it. But everything that I'm seeing right now, I mean, again, it doesn't matter what you feel about them. Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing contractually? Uh, there's nothing that says that they aren't. So they've going to have to come up with some better, uh, better defenses as to why they feel it's warranted to kick them out of uh, their position. So. Vanessa says a big no. I guess we're going to find out this weekend the stuff that's going on. Uh, Vanessa says they quote, they suck at this. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, everybody stay tuned because Vanessa is going to come with it. She's going to tell us exactly the other side of this story. I'm just reading verbatim from court cases. And uh, once we find out more information, we will. Uh, but that's right. Lisa says until Maleficence is brought to light, we got it. We need it. We need to see it. You know, I hear that a lot too. And, the, and a lot of the hearsay that I've heard, I've heard some people say, you know, Oh, there's stuff coming. I'm telling you, you wait to see what we have. You wait to see what we're about to, we're about to drop. It, you're, it's going to give you a whole different perspective. You're going to see. All right. <laughs> Bring it. Let's see it. Uh, because again, my allegiance is to Prince. So if you are, uh, if there's something that is being done that is going to affect the legacy and the release of his music and uh, is going to damage his reputation and his legacy, you gots to go. And if you've got something 
to show that is that speaks to that, you need to show it. Uh, put it out there. Put it out there. We want to see it. I, you know, I, I got. I need to see it, and then I will respond accordingly. Meanwhile, I hope you guys had a fun time. We've been sitting here with you guys for a couple of hours. I know a couple of people said they wanted to call me directly. Uh, so I expect I'm going to be on the phone for at least another half hour or so from people that are going to be calling me. But uh, thank you guys so, so much for tuning in. And uh, we will see some more responses and whatnot over the weekend to this video. And um I just hope I don't get a call from Lundell or Charles. I really don't. Uh, I just don't have the energy for that. But uh, I feel like there needs to be some type of sounding board for all of you. And there needs to be some type of perspective put on this. And I don't do a lot of, uh, I don't really do a whole bunch of speculation. But, you know, if it's speculation, I let you know that it is such. But anyways, thank you guys so, so much for tuning in tonight. I hope that you guys got a little bit more information i make sure that I will set up that link as soon as we get off this call, but uh, I will make sure that you can go to funkatopia.com slash court, C-O-U-R-T. Um, and it will automatically take you to the document and you can look over the entire court case yourself and read it with your own eyes. And uh, yeah, see how it goes. <laughs> Let's see if I'm if I'm banned from Paisley Park or the celebration this year. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. Meanwhile, good night. I hope you guys had a good time. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Happy MLK weekend. And we will talk to you guys on Tuesday. Yes, we'll be here on Tuesday. Uh, we'll see you then. Good night, everyone. <laughs>